0: today we are going to continue our study uh, through chapter 10 of the book of Matthew and so if you have your Bibles with you and encourage you to to, uh, open up to the book of Matthew we've been going uh, uh, through the book of Matthew ever since I got here a couple months ago and so we're going to continue doing that just going uh, verse by verse uh, chapter by chapter making our way through the Word of God and uh, hopefully you guys have been encouraged Uh, last week You'll recall that Jesus had selected and commissioned his 12 apostles to go out and preach, the kingdom of heaven is at hand, and he encouraged and exhorted them to use the gifts and abilities that the Lord had given to them uh, to be a blessing to others. We noted last week how the instructions uh, to the apostles were meant to be specific to that mission that they were going out on. Uh, those 12 apostles were sent out and was, it was not meant to apply to them as a standard for all time as they would continue to take the message of Jesus Christ and the ministry of Jesus Christ to the world. Um, and it's also, we noted how it was not meant to be a standard for us as well in our present time. We still were able to glean some principles from it though, Okay. Uh, We noted how the fact that he told them to only go to the lost sheep of Israel with the the message was an indication that it was for that specific mission uh, because we know that later on Christ would later commission them to go and make disciples of all nations. We also noted how there was another clue that informed us that these instructions were for them specifically and that he told them not to bring extra money or a knapsack, but later on in Luke's gospel they are instructed to bring uh, extra money in a knapsack. And so, like I said, even though the instructions were for them at that time, we were still able to glean some principles and apply them to our own lives. This morning, in today's portion of, uh, of Scripture, there's a change, okay? Uh, and it, as you read it in the book of Matthew, it's not so easily recognized, and it almost seems as if it would be uh, a continuation, Okay? But I want to encourage you to, to remember, as we've been studying through the book of Matthew, we've noted some things about how Matthew writes. Okay? Matthew does not write necessarily chronologically. Okay? Uh, oftentimes it's thematic or topical, and he lumps in a number of things together, uh, as his purpose is, is to really share Jesus Christ as the King, as the Messiah that was to come for the Jews. He's writing to the Jews. Okay, Here... He is recounting the words that Jesus shared when sending out the twelve, like we talked about last week. That first part of chapter 10 was about those twelve being sent out. But I believe he also takes it upon himself to share other words that Jesus spoke of regarding people being sent out and the certain expectations of persecution, as well as just the overall cost of discipleship. For instance, in Mark and Luke's gospel, we have recorded a separate sending out. You guys may know if you're a, a Bible student or you've read the Bible through a, a few times. You may recall there's a sending out of the 12, but there's also a sending out of the 70. Okay. Well, Matthew doesn't have a separate sending out, but a lot of the things that were said to the 70 are included here in Matthew's, and it would seem to be, oh, that he said it to these 12, but... I think it's more of a thematic, topical thing, okay? He lumps those instructions into his account here in chapter 10. Other separate occasions where Jesus gave instructions to his disciples on what to expect, and and not to be afraid, that they would go out, uh, as they would go out and share the message of Jesus Christ, they are also lumped together here in chapter 10, okay? And so, like I said, after a simple reading of the text here in Matthew, it, it would seem that everything he was saying uh, was meant to apply to the 12 apostles that were being sent out on a specific mission, like we highlighted last week. I think that's just the first 15 verses, though. Okay? As we pick up in chapter 10, verse 16 this morning, we're going to see that there's instructions in today's portions that didn't apply to the 12 apostles and in their initial mis- mission. Okay. The remaining portion of chapter 10 is more of a a compilation of instructions given not only to the 12, but also to the 70 that were sent out, and also just as general instruction to disciples and people that would live for Christ. I believe that there's instructions here for the 12, for the disciples, for the first century church, for the church throughout history, as well as there's even mention of some things that are possibly yet to still be fulfilled in prophetic nature. Okay? Why do I point this out? You think, well, that's kind of why you point all that out. Okay? Simply to give us a better understanding of God's Word. Okay? I, want, I want to teach God's Word to you. And, I, and to do that, I want you to understand the context of what's going on and understand that Matthew chapter 10, as you read it, makes it look like it's just one long speech to the 12 apostles, but in reality, it's more of a compilation of instructions that were given throughout Jesus' ministry. But Matthew, because he writes thematically, because he writes topically, he takes these ideas and he lumps them all together and says, here's an outline of what to expect. Really, my message this morning is called preparation for persecution. And really, that's what's going to happen. And we know that that didn't apply to the 12 and even the 70, because they went out and they came back and they were all excited, right? Oh, it was so great. You know, we cast out demons and we did this and we did that. Okay. They didn't experience persecution, but, that, but Jesus in chapter 10, as we're going to see, talks about persecution. And so we realize that this audience is different. It's more of a general audience. And so with that, let's pick up. Okay, we're going to jump uh, uh, into our text, chapter 10, verse 16. If you would, please stand as we read this morning's text. I do hope to finish the entire chapter, uh, but just for our sakes of uh our reading and going through i 'm going to read verses sixteen through twenty two uh to get us going. Matthew chapter ten verse sixteen says this Jesus is speaking obviously it 's red letters if you have a red letter Bible okay uh, he says, Behold, I send you out as sheep in the midst of wolves, therefore but the spirit spirit of your father who speaks in you. Verse 21, Now brother will deliver up brother to death, and a father his child, and children will rise up against parents and cause them to be put to death. And you will be hated by all for my name's sake, but he who endures to the end will be saved. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for this morning and the opportunity to spend time in your word. Lord, I pray that as we go through and and make observations and uh, try to understand what uh, the text means, Lord, that we would be able to glean that. But not only that, we'd even be able to make application for our own lives. Lord, that we would find a source of encouragement and strength from your word. And Lord, that you would allow your word to work in our lives. Lord, to bring comfort. Lord, to bring... Uh, 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 encouragement, and edification. Lord, even if it's uh, a challenge that you have for us this morning, Lord, that we would be willing to receive that. Allow your word to work in our hearts and in our lives. Lord, we thank you uh, just for the season that is upon us. We thank you that we have the opportunity uh, to celebrate your son's coming and his birth. But Lord, not just this day or this season, Lord, but we get reminded of that just at all times of the great and wonderful gift you gave through your Son, Jesus Christ. Lord, may we be blessed as we gather this morning. May we be filled and led by your Spirit. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. You may have a seat. Verse 16 starts off with Jesus saying, He's sending them out as sheep in the midst of wolves. In Luke's account, these words were actually declared to the group of 70 that were sent out in Luke chapter 10, verse 3. Now, whether these verses were shared with the 12 or the 70, or maybe even both, it's possible, uh, isn't as important as understanding the message itself. Jesus said he sent them out as sheep in the midst of wolves sheep in the midst of wolves would be extremely vulnerable, okay? Um, the, they would be defenseless against an attack of wolves. Usually wolves are in a pack, and if you have sheep, okay, they don't have lots of defense mechanisms, okay? Uh, and a sheep amongst wolves would be very, very easy prey. And so... Uh, Jesus is saying and this is how he's describing how they're going to be sent out to minister and share his message. He you know, it's kind of I don't know if this would be considered a pep talk, but he's kind of telling them, "Hey, this is what you got coming." And he's going to lay out some things that maybe aren't so exciting. You know, maybe they're a little bit fearful, and so we're going to see him combat that throughout chapter 10. It's going to say, "This is what it's going to be like." But don't worry, I'm going to do this. And this is what it's going to be like. It's this back and forth. And so we see he says, I'm going to send you out as sheep amongst wolves. They're going to be exposed. Uh, They're going to be um, uh, just really defenseless. Okay, And so he tells them, because they are so exposed, Jesus tells them, he says, to be like two other animals. Like, We're going to send you out as sheep, but as you go out as sheep, I want you to be like two other animals. And he says, first he tells them to be wise as serpents. Okay? Uh, some of you may be wondering, like myself, I was thinking, are serpents wise? Like, are they smart? Are they intellectual You know. Animal and I couldn't really find any research that verified that. Uh, so it made me think: Why would Jesus use serpents as an illustration? You know, I want you to be wise as serpents. And as you think about a, a snake, which I try not to do that much, if you guys know, I, have, I think I said once already how I really don't like snakes. But um, if you think about them, what what would make them wise? Okay, I, I think snakes in general okay do not like to be exposed. Okay. They, uh, When exposed, they will often do one of two things. They will protect themselves, okay, or they will try and find another means to you know, find cover or find shelter to escape uh, and to evade any potential harm that might come their way. And so this would apply to the men being sent out. He's saying, be like that. Be like a snake. Be wise as a serpent. Okay? While they are exposed, you're going out as sheep, and you're going to be exposed. Okay? But while you're doing that, they should be wise to protect themselves. Okay? And they should look for means to escape trouble when that is opportunity is presented. Okay? There's no, You don't need to needlessly expose yourself more or stand out in the opening necessarily. Okay? He's going to say you're going to go through tough times, but be wise. Don't go looking for the tough times. Okay? You're, you're going to be exposed, okay? but don't go looking for them. Don't do things needlessly to expose yourself uh, to this. Matthew Henry, uh, a favorite Bible commentator of many, many he wrote in his commentary, Therefore, because you are exposed as sheep among wolves, be ye wise as serpents, whose policy is only to defend themselves and to shift for their own safety. Okay? And so I think the main essence here in what Jesus is telling his, this group of guys is that even though these men would be exposed to danger, they should protect themselves. Okay? And they should look for ways to preserve their life. They shouldn't just, going, go, shouldn't just go out looking for trouble. Okay? And they shouldn't just go give up and surrender their life without a cause. Snakes can be wise about protecting themselves, but they can also be dangerous. Okay? They, they bite and they will attack if, if provoked or, or scared. And that's why Jesus said, be wise as serpents. And he said, be harmless as doves. Doves, unlike snakes, do not pose a great threat uh, or uh, of danger. Okay? Uh, they don't cause a lot of people great fear. Like, oh no, there's a dove and you know, that's not going to cause anybody fear. Uh, doves are, as Jesus said, they're harmless. Jesus wants them to be wise about protecting themselves, but harmless in doing so. Okay? The disciples were not meant to return attacks okay, and to turn to the aggressor when confronted. Interesting that the word harmless can mean to be pure or innocent as well. So our actions and our words when confronted or exposed should be pure or innocent. And I think sometimes we struggle with that. Maybe we're engaged with someone, we're sharing the gospel with them, and they start to throw out other, uh, oh, well what about this or what about that? And then we can get almost, it turns into a debate, and then it can almost turn into like a, an argument. And it's, it's like, ah, maybe you've lost... Even though you may have won the debate, you, you lose the person, right? Because you're not really representing Christ as you, as you argue with people and, and demean them or make them feel uh, unintellectual or whatever you may do. And so we have to be remember okay, that we protect ourselves, we can, uh, uh, but at the same time, w- when we're engaged, we don't want to become the aggressor. We're not, we're not going to fight with them and argue with them. Uh, that's not the right a point of view or point of uh, action that we should take. Jesus said, Be wise as serpents, be harmless as doves, and beware of men. Why? For they will deliver you up to councils and scourge you in their synagogues. Jesus here, he says, I'm going to send you out and you're going to receive opposition. Opposition is going to come. And he's going to identify three forms of opposition that we can expect as we go out and share the gospel message, as they would go out and share this gospel message and minister, three forms of opposition. Okay? The, Jesus here identifies the first of three forms of opposition that they can expect to come across, namely organized religion. Okay? Organized religion. Persecution from organized religion was very prominent during the first century church. In the book of Acts, Paul, he gives testimony that before his conversion, when he was Saul of Tarsus, that he punished them. referring to Christians. He punished them often in every synagogue and compelled them to blaspheme and being exceedingly enraged against them. Paul says, I persecuted them even to foreign cities. And so we see that there was a great amount of persecution that came from religious uh, organizations. People from the synagogues, they would beat them. And we saw that that happened to Jesus. We saw it happening in the book of Acts. And really you see it throughout history. Um, Peter and John, uh, the rest of the apostles, they were beaten in the synagogue for preaching in Jesus' name. Uh, Today, Christians are still under persecution from organized religion. Uh, I was looking up some statistics and stuff, and I know statistics can always be a little bit skewed. But uh, they said of uh, this website, it's the persecuted church uh, website, it says, of the 100 to 200 million Christians under assault for their faith, the majority are persecuted by those who believe it is part of their religious duty to do so. Okay? That Their religious duty is to persecute the Christians and people that are not of their faith. And so that's still happening today. And so this message applies not only to those 12 that are being sent out, the 70 that were being sent out, that first century church, but it applies even today. It's happened all throughout history. The persecution of the church still goes on. This was not the only place that they would experience oppression as well. Okay, verses 18 through 20, uh, it tells us that... You will be brought before governors and kings for my sake as a testimony to them and to the Gentiles. But when they deliver you up, do not worry about how or what you should speak, for it will be given to you in that hour what you should speak. For it is not you who speak, but the Spirit of your Father who speaks in you. Verses 18 through 20, they identify the second form of opposition that the disciples could anticipate, and that was from government. Jesus said that they would be brought before governors and kings for his sake. Nations and political leaders have been targeting Christians ever since Jesus' crucifixion. From 64 to 68 AD, Nero led a, a great persecution against Christians, having them eaten by wild animals, having others crucified and burned for their faith in Christ. Uh, the Great Fire uh, of Rome. There's, you know, speculation. I was looking up historians, and they have different stories, but there was this Great Fire that went through Rome. A lot of people believe that Nero said it himself. Okay? And when there was a whole lot of outrage and a lot of destruction happened, he blamed the Christians and just started persecuting them and used them really as a scapegoat because they were not they weren't well liked by people. They were kind of like an outcast group, and so we see politically the they would be targeted, that they would be find opposition. Today, governments are openly against Christians. Okay? Just this last month in November, people in North Korea were executed for possessing a Bible. Okay? I saw it on Facebook. I thought maybe it's not true, so I actually searched. it. That was really true. You can't really believe everything you find on Facebook, but that one was true. I uh, read the article in the Washington Times. People executed for possessing a Bible in North Korea. Okay? Not only uh, does it happen in, in North Korea. Hey, I was looking up, uh, and I gotta find my spot, in my notes here. Sorry. Yes, uh, as I look at America, hey, okay, I can't help but think that the agenda that's pushed and supported by I think so many is a blatant attack against Christianity and the values that Christians hold in some of the things that are going on, it's like, man, really? Like, you really want to do this? How is this not an attack against Christianity? Here is the awesome thing that Jesus is going to do, though. Interesting, if we look at here, He says that when they deliver you up, do not worry about how or what you should speak, for it will be given to you in that hour what you should speak, for it is not you who speak, but the Spirit of your Father who speaks in you. When you are brought before rulers, God's going to use that situation... For his glory. And he's going to give you the words to say. Jesus basically said, He's going to turn the opposition into an opportunity. And it will serve as a testimony to them and to all who hear. You know, I, I believe God often does that in our lives. He uses times of opposition as opportunities. Times of opportunities. Opportunities to show himself faithful in our lives and opportunities to give glory to God. Opportunities to speak of God and his message of love and hope. And we see that's what the, the, the leaders did. That's what the church did. Is Paul would be brought before these different councils. What would he do? He would share his testimony. And he'd tell about God and, and what God had done in his life and how He met him on the road to Damascus and and you see that throughout if you read a lot of different books the uh, Fox's Book of Martyrs you hear people being brought before councils and you know what you know what do you have to say for yourself and there's an opportunity to share the message of Christ and so we see God does that in our lives I want to encourage you. Next time you find yourself in a difficult situation where it seems like you're experiencing opposition, pray and ask the Lord to help you use it as an opportunity to serve and honor the Lord. Verse 21 and 22 says, Now brother will deliver brother to death, and a father his child, and children will rise up against parents and cause them to be put to death, and you will be hated by all for my name's sake. But he who endures to the end will be saved. Here we see the third form of opposition that can be expected as a disciple of Jesus Christ and that's opposition that comes from our family. You know, this may seem, you know, a bit odd at first to think that uh, opposition could come from family, okay? Okay? And that they would experience opposition from uh, them, but if you think about it, it's not that weird to think of because Jesus Himself, he, he experienced some opposition to his ministry and message from his very family. John chapter seven verse five it tells us, "For even his brothers did not believe him." Hey, they were like getting ready to go, and they're like, "Hey, why don't you go? You know, hang out with your disciples." They they didn't. He's like, kind of blew them off. They didn't believe. They, he found opposition from them when he was sharing they're like, "Hey, your mom and your brothers are calling for you and he's like hey i got I got to do what i'm supposed to be doing and so we saw there was tension even within jesus's family hey I think that the opposition that we experience from our family is often the hardest to deal with because our family they i think for one because they know us so well you know our family they know us they know how to to get under our skin a little bit sometimes. I think uh, our family knows uh, our buttons and how to push them better than most other people. And so growing up together, they know what can maybe stir you up or get you into the flesh. And so, you know, our families, we could experience opposition from them. I think not only uh, because they know us so well, but I think also because we love them so much. And it hurts. It hurts the more. Uh, when we get opposition from our family. Okay? When your loved ones um, don't receive the message of Christ, it hurts more than when you're sharing it with a neighbor or a stranger or a coworker. You can kind of walk, oh, well, you know, I, I shared. But when your family doesn't receive it, it's hard. I remember when I was newly walking with the Lord I was involved in church and it was Father's Day was on a Sunday and so I called up dad hey dad what do you think we were going to maybe you know go to church on Sunday and you know go out to lunch and we had these plans and maybe we were thinking we can just do it together you can come to church my dad's not safe and he said I, it was really painful at the time and I've gotten over it and talked about it but he says if if, uh, if I have to come to church to be recognized as your father, I just won't be recognized as your father anymore. And that hurts to know that your family would oppose you and oppose the message of Christ. It hurts more when it comes from family than when it comes from people we don't know. But I want to encourage you okay, to not give up on your family. Okay? I have not given up on my father. and I've since had much better conversations with him. And uh, I believe the Lord will hopefully get a hold of his life. But don't give up on your family. Because okay? I want to point this out. It wasn't until after the resurrection that we saw Jesus' family come around and believe. And, and so they eventually did come. Okay? James, Jesus' brother, becomes one of the leaders in the first century church, the church there in Jerusalem. And so... Don't give up hope on your family, but don't be surprised when opposition comes from family. Verse 22 says that the disciples will be hated by all, but if they they would endure to the end, they would be saved. This verse and others like it have caused some in the church to be divided over differing opinions and beliefs on the assurance of salvation. And I prayed, and as I was studying this message, I thought, do I want to go here and, and mention this? And I don't want to cause a divide, but I want to teach the Word of God. And so uh, I want to present different thoughts and uh, share my opinion with you and hope that you will uh, not hate me and not get mad at me or storm off, but you'd hear me out. Okay? Some would look at this verse And they would exclaim that this verse teaches that there's a possibility that we do not endure. And that if we do not endure, we will not be saved. Leaning, I believe, too far to this side may make us believe that our assurance of salvation is based upon our works and our ability to endure. And I believe that this is a dangerous place to be. Others look at this verse and they say the opposite. That there is no way that we will not endure. That failure really isn't even an option. All believers will endure no matter what. And I believe leaning too far to this side may make us believe that our assurance of salvation uh, that our salvation that excuse me it makes us believe okay, that what we may or may not do has no effect at all on our salvation, okay? and I believe that this too is a dangerous place to believe when we think well, our salvation doesn 't matter it doesn 't matter what I do it doesn 't matter if what I do do or what i don 't do i 'm going to be saved no matter what I think that 's a dangerous place to be as well and some who lean on either side will try and make you choose one side or the other okay and I believe the dangerous thing with choosing one side only is that both can be supported biblically and I like to believe that there is truth on both sides Some say it's like arguing about two different sides of the same coin or maybe a a bill. Like I can pull up a $1 bill and I can show you the front of it. And I can say, Richard, what is this? And he'd say, it's a dollar bill. I'd say, absolutely, it's a dollar bill. Describe the dollar bill. You'd say, it's green. I'd say, yes, it's green. And then you'd say, it's got George Washington's face on it. I'd say, no, it doesn't have George Washington's face on it. Because I'm looking at one side of the bill and I'm saying, it's got a pyramid with an eye on the top of it. You're like... It doesn't have a pyramid with an eye on the top of it. You're ridiculous, Glenn. And we can go back and forth and banter, but we have to realize that when we look at it from the other side, oh, I see now. It does have George Washington. Well, on my side, it's got this. You see, and, it, and we start to argue, and really what we find ourselves doing is we're arguing and we're realizing that we're, we're talking about the same thing, but we've just focused only on one part of it so much that we've lost sight of what the other side looks like. And I think that, the healthy place to be and the better place to be is to have a good, balanced approach. To realize that there are truths on both sides. Okay? I think as we look at this verse specifically, I think it leads us to the best position to be in. I was doing some word studies. That word endure. Okay? In the Greek, it, it's a compound word. It's meno. Okay, the hoopo is where we get our, we say hypo, okay, in the Greek prefix. Okay, hypo means under or by. And meno means to remain or abide. Okay, that same Greek word meno is used 120 times in the New Testament and is translated the majority of the time as the word abide. Okay, abide. I want to turn with you, I want you to turn with me to the Gospel account of John, chapter 15. And I want to read a few verses from John chapter 15 in regards to this text. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, just a few more books over to your right, if you have a Japanese Bible to your left, which I don't know if anybody reads from Japanese Bible. Here. But Akiko San, do you read Japanese Bible? Did you go right or left? You went left. Yeah. So the book of John, chapter 15. I want to read verses 1 through 8 of the book of John, chapter 15. I think in John's account here, he gives us a balanced approach, a balanced view. He says, I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that bears fruit, he prunes, that it may bear more fruit. You are already clean because of the word which I have spoken to you. If you abide in me, and my words abide in you, you will ask what you desire, and it shall be done for you. By this my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit, so you will be my disciples. John chapter 15 teaches us that as we abide in Christ, our salvation is secure. And if we take the approach of abiding in Christ, we come to the understanding that we can't do anything without Him. That's what it said there in the verse. Because apart from me, you can do nothing. And so it's not about what I do or don't do, because I can't do anything without Christ. But we also understand that His work in our life is only guaranteed as we abide with Him. Okay, those that don't abide, they're cast out. And so I think John chapter 15 teaches us a balanced approach. And so when it comes to the assurance of salvation, I know that as long as I'm abiding in Christ, I'm secure. Because I think if you lean too far to one side, and you say, it doesn't matter what you do or what you don't do, okay, and you have someone that's walked with, seems to have walked with the Lord and ministered to the Lord and done great things for the Lord and then just rejects Christ in our later days and says, I don't want to anything to do with the person. Those people have to say that person was never saved. That person never was really part of what was going on. He really wasn't connected. And it's like, where is the assurance of salvation if we believe that? Maybe we can be one of those people that we think we're saved, but we're really not saved. There's not a lot of assurance in that. If you lean to the other side and you think it's all based upon what we do, okay, there's not a lot of assurance of salvation in that either. Okay? We think, oh, I, I, I've sinned and now I'm not saved, and every time I sin, I'm not saved. Okay, That's a terrible place to be too. Where can we find an assurance of, of salvation? Only if we abide in Christ. Then we know. I know for sure. As long as I'm abiding in Christ, good to go. Okay, if you lean too far to one side on either of the sides. I think you can find yourselves in a little bit of limbo, and not understanding. And so I'm going to get off this soapbox, okay? and you can email me at, at com and any complaints you may have. Um, but I hope that you understand I think a balanced approach is best. I think too often we want to lay on one side or the other, and what we end up doing is dividing the church and dividing uh, fellowship because we take a hard-nosed position on something that really the Bible, you can take hard-nosed positions on both sides. And you can say, it's got George Washington on it. I can say, no, it doesn't. It's got a pyramid on it. Or we're talking about the same thing. So I want to encourage you guys to be open-minded. If you find yourself leaning to maybe one side to the other, to be open-minded and to realize don't allow this as an opportunity to divide the church, okay, and to divide fellowship because of uh, this assurance of salvation. All right, I'm done. Let's move on. Verse 23 says... When they persecute you in this city, flee to another. For assuredly I say to you, you will not have gone through the cities of Israel before the Son of Man comes. Verse 23 tells the disciples that they don't have to unnecessarily continue to allow themselves to be persecuted. Okay, if you're being persecuted in one place, go to another place. We're not to seek out the position of martyr. Okay, When opportunity allows for us a means of escape, then we take it. Okay? The exact understanding of the latter part of verse 23 is debated. I had a lot of time studying this week, and I was verse 22 and 23 gave me a lot of time. Okay, and I after I couldn't figure out through my own studies, I turned to a favorite pastor teacher of mine uh, named David Guzik. He's uh, on BlueLetterBible.com. Okay, and he's usually right on point with things. And here's what he said about the second part of verse 23. This is one of the hardest to understand statements of Jesus in the book of Matthew. Th- after reading it, I thought, thanks for nothing. Hey, uh, that doesn't help me. Um, seriously, though, there, there are a couple different schools of thought here on what the verse 23, the end of verse 23 means. Okay? One interpretation is that Jesus is referring to the fact that Jesus sent out the twelve apostles to the cities that he himself was about to go to. And he sent them out... As forerunners of sorts okay? uh, understanding that he would uh, that he would be there and, and he 's saying that, that if a city persecutes you just move on to the next i 'll be there shortly anyways, and, and you won 't have time to hit at them all before I 've come because we know that 's what happens. He kind of sent them out and then they 're going to go later as a group and so some people just say that 's just talking about then and there and, and that 's it. A, a second interpretation says that this is prophetic. And it speaks of the time when the Son of Man came not in physical form, but in judgment upon the cities of Judea when God used the Roman armies in 70 AD to destroy Judea and Jerusalem. And they said, that's what this is talking about, that. And then the third interpretation is that this involves a yet future event aligned with the second physical coming of Jesus Christ. And this view holds which kind of, there's, there's holes in each of the views. Okay? There's points and there's holes. One of the holes in this one is that, well, if it's the second coming, but people have all gone through the cities, that doesn't make sense. And so if you hold to the view that it's about the second coming, the notion of going through the cities of Israel does not solely mean simply traveling through them, but that they would receive the message as they traveled through. And so thus, the notion that cities in Israel still to this day have not received the message of Christ and will not do so until his second coming. So three different interpretations for what this could be. And I don't like any of them. I'm not in love with any of them, to be honest with you. I, I think some of them have some good points, and some of them really don't. And and some even actually, some people out there, they, they mix them. They say, well, it's kind of like a double fulfillment of a prophecy, which we see happens in Scripture. Uh, and so, which is it? Here's the truth. I don't know. I don't know. Uh, I don't know. Here, and here's something that I've learned in my time in ministry. Sometimes it's okay to say, I don't know. Okay? Uh, you know, I'd love to be able to, to stand up here and proclaim that after much prayer and fasting and studying that I have unraveled all the mysteries of God and I'm going to just pour them out upon you. And if you're hoping that of me, let me tell you now, it's not going to happen. That is not... Going to happen. I will let you down big time. Okay. Sometimes th- things just need to remain a mystery, okay? and we have to exercise a little bit of faith and, and realize that there are some things that we will not fully understand until we're with the Lord. And the funny thing is, I know people that have, I've talked to people that say, "Oh, yeah, you know, I have a list of things I'm going to ask God," and I'm like, "Really? When you get there, are you going to care?" It's like when I get there, I'm like, "I'm going to find out what this is." But when, when I get there, I'm probably going to be like, "Who cares?" I'm with Jesus, and it's going to be awesome. i not going to care. Was this a double fulfillment of prophecy, God? It's just going to be awesome, worshiping the Lord. But some things we just don't know. And that's okay. That's okay. Verse 24 and 25, it says, A disciple is not above his teacher, nor a servant above his master. It is enough for a disciple that he be like his teacher, and a servant like his master. If they've called the master of the house, Beelzebub, how much more will they call those of his household? Jesus is basically, he's just continuing to warn his disciples that, that if they uh, persecuted me, they're going to persecute you. Okay? As a disciple of Christ, as a slave to God, we can anticipate going through the same type of persecution that Christ went through. Okay? It's interesting as I think about it, I know that we all go through, through difficult times, what we would consider difficult times. But I don't, I don't think most of us have gone uh, through the type of persecution that Christ uh, went through. Okay. However, there are people who do. There are people who have and there are people who do still today. There are people who have given their life and commitment to Christ and have endured similar beatings and persecutions as Jesus. As I was reading through that website of the persecuted church, I was amazed. One article I was reading said that there's more persecution of the Christian church in today's age than there has been in any time of history past. It's amazing to look at some of the things that people of our Christian faith have to endure. And, and, you know, I think we think of our tough times, it's like, man, there's no Target or Walmart here, and it's so hard being in Iwakuni, and man, it's difficult. And it's like, really? It's not that difficult. Okay? We need to pray for our brothers and sisters in the persecuted church. And I want to encourage you guys maybe to check out, there's a number of different websites that talk about persecuted church and what's going on. We need to be in prayer for them. Okay? People are giving their life for the Lord. And and the least that we could do is pray for them. And so I want to encourage you guys to be praying for the persecuted church. Jesus was saying, if they called me Beelzebub, okay, which is the name of a Philistine god, uh, that actually Jesus linked to Satan. Uh, he says, just imagine what they're going to call you. I mean, Jesus, he was kind of sinless, right? Not kind of. He was sinless, right? But yet they still had some stuff, some dirt to try and throw on him. And we are... We are much worse than Jesus. And so people, they're going to th- fling stuff on us, and it, it may even stick a little bit. Uh, and, and just imagine, he's saying, hey, if they did that to me, just, it's going to happen to you. Hey, it's just, it's going to happen. Verse 26 through 31 says, Therefore do not fear them, for there is nothing covered that will not be revealed, and hidden that will not be known. Whatever I tell you in the dark, speak in the light, and what you hear in the ear, preach on the housetops. And do not fear those who kill the body but cannot kill the soul, but rather fear him who is able to destroy both soul and body in hell. Are not two sparrows sold for a copper coin? And not one of them falls to the ground apart from your father's will. But the very hairs of your head are all numbered. Do not fear, therefore, you are of more value than many sparrows. In verses 26-31, Jesus tells His disciples to not fear. Three separate times He tells them, do not fear. Okay? Obviously, hearing these words about opposition and persecution, that would be frightening. Okay? to hear that you're going to be attacked and you're going to be scourged, that you're going to be brought before rulers and kings, that your family's going to not like you, that everyone's going to hate you, they're all going to call you names and they're going to do these things to you, that can be frightful. And so Jesus says, do not fear. Three separate times he says it. First he said, do not fear, for there is nothing covered that will not be revealed and hidden that will not be known. Don't fear because the truth is going to be revealed. The the truth that you're proclaiming, it will be revealed and brought out into the open. Don't be ashamed of it, but boldly share it. It's all going to be brought to light. The truth of the sacrifices that you make for the Lord, they're going to be revealed. Also the truth of those that persecuted you, that will be revealed. There is confidence that God sees not only the things that we do for Him, but also the things that are done to us and they will be revealed, and we have nothing to fear. It's all going to be shined out in the light. Okay? It's all going to, I know. Okay? It's not going to be hidden. It's not going to be secret. how okay? Everything, he knows it all. Second, he said, do not fear those who kill the body, but cannot kill the soul. Jesus here reminds the disciples to keep an eternal perspective. Okay? Don't fear those that can destroy your body. And what did we learn about his body? He was talking about it's here one day, gone the next. Okay? Our life here in our earthly bodies, they're just a flash in the pan. Okay, there's not much to them. He says, don't worry about those that can destroy your body. Keep your eyes on eternity. And Jesus gives some helpful info here on how to combat the fear of men. He says, fear him who is able to destroy both soul and body in hell. Charles Spurgeon said, there is no cure for the fear of man like the fear of God. There's no cure for the fear of man like the fear of God. Psalm 118, verse 6 says, The Lord is on my side, I will not fear. What can man do to me? A healthy fear of God will help us not to be fearful of man. Third, Jesus said, Do not fear, you are of more value than many sparrows. Jesus spoke of how inexpensive sparrows were, and yet God cares for them. And how nothing happens to them that the Lord doesn't know about. And he uses that to encourage and to convince them that, that they, being so much more valuable than sparrows, are going to be taken care of, as well as that nothing's going to happen to them that the Lord doesn't know about. We are of more value than sparrows. And God's going to, God knows everything that happens to those things, and He cares for them and He's going to care for us, and He's going to care for these disciples as they go out. And that would be a source of great encouragement. A great source of encouragement for those who are about to be sent out as sheep amongst wolves. He says, don't be afraid. All will be revealed. The truth will shine forth. The attacks, they're temporary. Keep an eternal perspective. And remember, you're loved by God, and He will watch over you. Verse 32 and 33 says, Therefore, whoever confesses me before men, him I will also confess before my Father who is in heaven. But whoever denies me before men, him I will also deny before my Father who is in heaven. The key to understanding these two verses is keeping the context. Okay? The context is persecution and opposition and how to overcome it. Some mistakenly apply this verse to salvation. Okay? I do not believe that this verse is speaking about salvation. Peter denied the Lord vehemently three times, and the Lord didn't damn Peter to hell. I believe that this verse is speaking about Jesus' ministry to us. You see, as we are going through life, and as these disciples would be go out in the first century church, and all throughout history, and up leading to today, as we go out, Okay, the scriptures teach us that Jesus Christ lives to make intercession for us. That He's at the Father's right hand, and, and He's mentioning us, and He's sharing about us with the Heavenly Father. He's interceding on our behalf with the Father. So in this t- context, I believe it, and can perceive it as if Jesus is saying, if you, if you go out and you speak about me to others and you confess me before others, you're, you're ministering to others, okay? I'm going to be speaking to the Father on your behalf. I'm going to be interceding before you. We're going to be showering blessings and working these things out. As you step out in faith, there's going to be this interaction where God's interceding on our behalf. Okay? However, if you and, and I we don't step out in faith, okay, and we don't speak about the Lord, and we really, we deny the Lord before men, we're going to miss out on the blessings of of having Jesus interceding with the Father, saying, "Oh, the, look, He's stepping out in faith to go do this. Let's let's do this." And I. I I'm not God, obviously, but I imagine how cool that would be for God. You know, like just, oh, look at him, he's doing this, I'm going to reward, I'm going I'm to work this out this way and do that this way. And, and we forfeit those blessings when we don't stand up for Christ. And when we don't proclaim his name before men, we, we miss out on that blessing of him interceding for us. He's saying, I'm not gonna you know I'm not going to be interceding for you if you're not doing anything for me. You know I'm not, that's not going to be happening, and so I think here it's more this idea of not missing out on salvation, okay, but of missing out on the blessings of of seeing God act in your life and move in your life. Verse thirty-four and thirty through thirty-nine. It says, "Do not think that I came to bring peace on earth. I did not come to bring peace, but a sword. For I've come to set a man against his father, a daughter against her mother, and a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law." And a man's enemies will be those of his own household. He who loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. And he who loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. And he who does not take his cross and follow after me is not worthy of me. He who finds his life will lose it. And he who loses his life for my sake will find it. Jesus said, He came to bring a sword, not peace. A sword is a weapon or a tool that's used to cut things. What is Jesus cutting away, you may ask? He's come to cut us away from anything that will draw us away from Him. Do not mistake verses 35 and 36 as Jesus having some vendetta against families. Rather, He's highlighting the extreme nature of His calling, When called to follow the Lord, we must be willing to sever or cut any ties that may keep us from following the Lord and living for Him fully. I believe Jesus uses the family as an example to show that even the closest of relationships that we have, the closest of bonds that we have, should not stand in the way of living for the Lord. I I believe the key to understanding this is in verse 37. It's a small little word and it's written twice in verse 37. Do you see it? It's a four-letter word. starts with M and ends in E. It's more. Jesus isn't saying you shouldn't love your father. He's not saying you shouldn't love your mother. He isn't saying that you shouldn't love your son or your daughter. He is saying you shouldn't love them more than Jesus. No other relationship is more important than the one you have with Jesus Christ. And this is a challenging stance, okay? A a difficult one for sure, but a stance that needs to be made. Jesus mentions one more thing that cannot be more important than following Him and living for Him, and it's in verse 38 and 39. He says that we must be willing to not only put our close relationships with family on the line, we also must be willing to give up our own life for the sake of Christ. To take up our cross is a picture of dying to ourselves, our own desires, our own comforts, our own goals, and surrendering them to Jesus Christ. And he shares a bit of a paradox here. He says that those who find their life will lose it. And those that lose their life will find it. And then that doesn't make sense. Okay? And the beauty really of a life surrendered to Christ is that's only when we lose our life for His sake that we find what living is really all about. <laughs> and what living is meant to be. Those that find purpose and meaning in life through relationships with others or through material things, ultimately they're going to lose their life. I know people that live in million-dollar homes, and I know people that that travel the world, and I know that the world would say that they're living it up, that they've got the life, you know. But I, I wouldn't trade my life for their life any day. There's no other place that I would rather be than right where God wants me to be. As we die to ourselves and follow the Lord, we will He will lead us to the right places at just the right time to be used by Him. Verse 40 and 42, when we wrap this up and get out of here, I'm sorry, I'm going to keep you a little bit late maybe. He receives you, receives me, and He receives me, receives Him who sent me. He who receives a prophet in the name of a prophet shall receive a prophet's reward. And he who receives a righteous man in the name of a righteous man shall receive a righteous man's reward. And whoever gives one of these little ones only a cup of cold water in the name of a disciple, assuredly I say to you, he shall by no means lose his reward. Finishing off the chapter, Jesus takes the time to bring a little bit of encouragement amongst all the persecution that he spoke of and the cost that he spoke of. He said, yes, you're going to go out as sheep amongst wolves and you'll be scourged in the synagogues. You'll be brought before governors and kings. You'll be betrayed by your family. All will hate you. You'll be called all sorts of names. You'll be persecuted in the cities. You'll have to be willing to cut ties with loved ones. You'll even have to die to yourself. But here's the good news. Some will receive you. And some will receive the message that you share. They will receive Christ. (coughs) Knowing that some will receive, I imagine, must have been the greatest source of encouragement that they could have received. (coughs) To know that the opposition they face And that the persecution they endure would lead to some receiving the message of Jesus Christ and receiving, excuse me, the forgiveness of sins and life eternal. What a blessing, right? What a reward to know that God could use us to bring others to Him. How much value would you place on the price of a soul? What would you be willing to endure to see some saved? By the love and grace of Jesus Christ. Is there a price too high to pay? God didn't think so when He sent His Son, Jesus Christ, for us. Okay? He was willing to pay the ultimate price to surrender His life so that some may receive Him. And when you and I follow in His footsteps and we die to self and we live for Him, God can use our surrendered life to bring others to Christ. May we find hope and encouragement and excitement. In living for Christ, no matter what the cost, knowing of the great reward and potential of blessing that stands before us. Let's pray. Father, I thank you so much that you love us so much. And Lord, that you promise to to be with us to lead us, to guide us, to, that You intercede on, on our behalf. And Father, we're going to experience tough times. We may experience opposition and persecution. And, and Lord, I hope that we would be able to turn those as opportunities to share Your message, Lord, and that we would be able to grab onto the, the promise here that seems to be lying in these last verses, that there will be some that receive the message and that it will be worth it all. Anything that we go through, any relationships that, that have to be surrendered, any uh, material things that have to be surrendered, Lord, that they would be worth it, that we would do it a hundred times out of a hundred times, that it would be no doubt it's worth it. Father, we are not worth it, but You sent Your Son for us. And so, Lord, we want to live a life that's worthy of you. Lord, we want to be willing to die to ourselves. Lord, to present our lives as a living sacrifice for you, that you might just use us, even just to, to bring one person into an internal relationship with you. The value of that is immeasurable. So Lord, lead and guide us. Give us your eyes, especially during this season where so many people are are maybe a little bit more open to receiving this message. May we be willing to share it. And may you use it for your honor and for your glory. Thank you again for this morning. Thank you for this time. And I pray that you would just continue to minister to our hearts as we leave this place. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right. Walter already informed me, hey, you can go late because I have to do children's ministry and I won't be able to end in song. So I said, okay. Uh, So I did keep you a little bit late, uh, even past when Walter would keep you. So forgive me for that, but I pray that you guys are blessed. I pray that you have a a glorious uh, week. And I, I hope that the message um, and, and the study of God's word impacts your life and that God uses you in great ways this week. Give Him Jesus.